Good morning. It's good to be with you. Your singing was, your singing? <laughs> I must be from Southern Illinois. Your singing was phenomenal. I loved hearing it echo off the walls. Um, I have a padded pew church with carpeted walls and the sounds don't echo off the walls. I love hearing the echo of God's praises. It's been great to be with your men this, this weekend. Uh, Travis is one of my favorite men. If I have a problem with theology, I call Travis, and I know it's going to be about an hour before we hang up the phone. <laughs> uh, he's one of, my, uh, one of my joys. I've been in student ministry for, uh, since 1985, and I've seen about 300 different students come through different ministries, and most of them are staying the course. For some reason, God has blessed me, and the principles that God has poured into my life through other men before me. Uh, the people that have come through my life and my ministry are staying the course, and it's great to see Mitzi and, and their three children and be in their home last night. And it was great to play Jenga with, their, with uh, Owen, but he changed, the, he changed the rules on us. I uh, apparently didn't read the rule book, and I found out I'd been playing them wrong all my life. It took an 11-year-old kid to tell me I was wrong. It's the way it goes. My wife and my church back home, and Southern Illinois, I bring you greetings. We pray for you because pastor is your, uh, your Travis, Travis is, I can't say these things today. Travis is your pastor. We pray for him and Mitzi often. We pray for the advancement of the gospel here in Las Vegas. We're, we're excited about seeing a number of people here in the, in the worship service this morning. And uh, so now we're going to look at the text. My title is The Great Surprise. And uh, I want to ask you a couple questions before we get to the text I'm going to share with you this morning. When someone asks you to describe the character of God, what would be some terms that you would say? God is, so just give me some answers. What God is, what's one thing God is? Most holy, Most holy. okay, thank you, Ben. Sovereign, good. Somebody else? Miracle. Pure, good, okay. We're learning the, the sound effects in this room, so I have to learn about that. Okay, I've looked at, I've read lots of systematic theology books. When it comes to the doctrine of God, you've got words like holy, pure, sovereign, uh, wise, omnipotent, omniscient. But you know, Travis, I've not found this in any systematic book I've ever read on the doctrine and character of God. The one term that's just tragically missing is the one term most of us are missing this morning. So I want you to think with me about a couple things. We're going to get to the text in just a minute. What's the most mentioned command in Scripture to his people? What does, God call, what does God call his people to do more than any other action in the Scripture? Think about it. Just think if you know, see if you know the answer, don't say it. Just think if you know it. I'd venture to say that many, if not most in this room, have been woefully disobedient this last week when it comes to this one commandment. Matter of fact, your guest speaker this morning, I would have to confess that I've probably violated this commandment more than a hundred times this past week. And that's not an understatement. Are you sure you still want me to preach the gospel to you this morning? Okay? Now, it's perhaps the one reason that we see so few disciples being made in our cities and churches today. The truth is that if this one command is not obeyed and practiced, the church will die a very slow, painful death. This is perhaps the greatest indication the church needs revival. 
The failure to obey this one command is a clear indication that the people of God need to be revived. The love to obey this command is an indication of of the people whether they're filled with the Spirit of God or not. So if this command is not frequently and often being obeyed by the people of God, it's a sign that they're not yet filled with the Spirit as they should be. The failure to obey this one command leads to the epidemic of prayerlessness in the church as a cause of much bitterness that creeps up in the body and the fellowship of the church. What is this command I'm speaking of? What's this most heinous sin? What's this wickedness of which I speak? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, just three verses. I invite you to turn there because we're going to just camp there. We're going to look at lots of other scriptures, but that's going to be my text I'm going to speak off of this morning. And this is a three-verse text that rocked my world seven and a half years ago on Panama City Beach as I was leading a mission team there seven and a half years ago. I'll tell you how that affected my life at the end of this message this morning. But I want you to hear what Paul says. Paul's writing to a young church. He had been with the church for about three weeks. He planted the church and preached in Thessalonica for about three weeks, taught them all sorts of things. First Thessalonians tells us all the things he taught them in three weeks. There must have been 24-7. Paul must have preached for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three weeks for him to get this kind of stuff into them. But this is what he says. And if you wanted to know, if there's one, if there's a question you've been asking God this week, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do with my life? These three, these three verses sum it up for us. First, rejoice always. Rejoice, not, not consistently, not regularly, rejoice always. It's a pattern of your life to be one of joy and rejoicing. Now, I love the way these three verses are put together because when you find out the commandment to rejoice always is a command, it's, it's, it's in the imperative mood. It's not an option for you. It's a command. So let's just stop for a moment and ask the question of this last week, since last Sunday. How often have you had this thought? What a crappy world we live in. What does God know? God doesn't know what he's doing. These people I live with, what's wrong with them? The gas prices are astronomical. And gripe and complain and gripe and complain and gripe and complain. And what does God say? Look at that, look at that text. Just let it, let it sit on your face for a minute. Rejoice always. Now, I'm not a Joel Osteen preacher. Please don't think that. I'm not going to say, look at the price of gas and look at the, the, your shrinking bank account and say, boy, isn't this great? But God wants us to adopt a posture of believing that he's in charge of all events. We mentioned the word sovereign. If he's in charge of the prices going through the roof, is he not in charge of your bank account and supporting you even if you don't have money in your bank account? Sure he is. But when you get to that command, rejoice always, how many of you would be willing to just admit by a show of hands, I haven't done that well this last week. I'm not, a, I'm not great at this rejoicing thing, all right? Now, here's what, here's what the, this is the beautiful thing about the grace of God. Paul says, okay, I get it. You can't rejoice always, so what are you supposed to do if you find out you can't rejoice? Now, what do you do? Look at the next phrase. 
The answer is right there. Pray without ceasing. <laughs> Isn't that great? You realize you can't rejoice always, so every time you know you can't rejoice, you're supposed to pray. So since you can't pray always, you got to pray always. And since you can't rejoice always, you got to pray always. Is that not cool? I have a daughter who's a sensory processing. Now, the doctors say it's a sensory processing disorder. I don't call it that because God is sovereign, Bill. I call it a sensory processing character trait. When she comes into a room like this, she can't turn off all the sensory information that's come to her. She hears all the cries of all the babies. She hears the cars driving down the hallway. She hears the flickering on the lights. She hears the fans moving. She hears all of that all at once. She cannot filter any of that out. So she's worn out every time she comes in a room like this and she goes home exhausted. And she said, Dad, why did God do that to me? And I said, oh, dear one, you understand how much God loves you that he gave you that character trait? Dad, what do you mean character trait? They called me, they told me it was a disability, a disorder. Oh no, they don't know God like we do. This is a character trait, my dear one. Why? Because what does the Bible say when you're anxious? Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lydia, every time anxiety rises up within you, Every time worry overtakes you, every time fear or depression visits you, it's God saying, Lydia, come closer. I want to know you more. Come closer. The anxiety that God allows you to have is his invitation for you to run to him. Isn't that cool? Every place we fail at the commandment, God's saying, come closer. This is the God that we worship. And I use the definite article, the God, there is no other. Remember what Jesus said? Come unto me, all you are labored and heavy laden. And take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you'll find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Don't learn about me. He don't want us to learn about him. He wants to learn of him, from him, direct access. Rejoice always. When you find out you can't rejoice always, what do you do? Pray always. And when you find out you're you're, you're tremendously unable to pray and give thanks and rejoice, what do you do? Abigail, you've got issues in your life you need God to help, right? No, you've got some issues. We all have issues, right? What do you do when those issues are overwhelming? Look at verse 18. Give thanks in everything for, listen to this. Stop right there. Give thanks in everything. What's God's, what does God think about you, Ms. Peterson? It says he's concerned, his things are concerning you. What is he concerned about you? He's concerned that you would walk in his will. And what is his will for you? Can you hear this? Can you you just get this for a minute? His will is this, that you give thanks in everything for the scriptures. This is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
Wow! Would you just underscore the word concerning you? I love the hymns you guys just sang. I love those hymns. God, God's concerned about you. He's concerned about yours, you, his sheep, getting to the right pasture. He's concerned that you would hear his voice. He's concerned, listen to this, he's concerned that you would come to know his joy. Now think about this with me for just a minute. John 15, 11. In the Last Supper, Jesus talking to the disciples. Judas didn't wait long enough. He, he missed the point of what this thing was all about. He thought Jesus was coming to overrun the Roman Empire so we could have political dominance. Uh, how many think the political dominance is the answer for our world today? Not going to work. Because you can have every dictator, every potentate, every king, every queen, every president, and they cannot rule and reign the sin that reigns in your heart. They can't do it. There's only one king that can do that. And listen to what he says to his disciples in John 15, 11. I've told you these things. Now listen, this is going to rock some of your worlds. You might become charismatic after this. I'm just kind of, I'm warning you. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that my joy might be in you and that your joy would be made complete. Now think about this. Joy, complete, unending, erasable, undying, eternal. These are all synonyms, Travis, in case you didn't know that. (laughs) Joy, they last forever. His design for us is our pleasures never end. When I'm at Mardi Gras on Bourbon Street, and watching people going back and forth, looking for the party. And I can stand in one place for an hour, and I can see the same group of people pass me going different ways five or six times in that hour. And my answer to them is kind of like, I, th- I think it's a Kansas song. Still haven't found what you're looking for. Is that Kansas? I don't know. You too. Okay. I don't know my song. My, my, okay. But they still had not found it. The, they keep going back and forth trying to find what they're, they're trying to find something that's going to satisfy forever. And then they'll stop in a bar, or pick up a girl or a guy, and have a one-night experience. And the next morning, I'll see him on the street and said, hmm, didn't last, did it? I could have told you. There's a way that seems right to a man, but there ends there of the ways of death. The joy this world has only lasts for a fleeting moment. Moses, in Hebrews chapter 11 I think it's verse 24. It says, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose rather to be identified with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Another translation says the, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Just momentary pleasures, all Scott. The world and all its best stuff is momentary at best. When I came to Jesus... In 1975, one of the first verses I committed to memory was John 10.10. It's where Jesus says, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Anybody here speak German? Good. Oh, okay. Well, you can, you can catch me if I don't say this wrong. The word for overflowing in German is Überflussabend. Okay? Jesus has come 
to give us that Überflussabend of life. It overflows, you can't contain it, you can't keep it to yourself. It just find, kind of finds its way out of your life all the time. It's a joy that just can't be contained. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his abundant mercy where he began, where he begotten us again to a new and living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance un- incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away in heaven reserved for you who are being kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through many temptations that the trine of your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom though you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you can describe and define what Jesus means to you and the joy he gives you, you, do have, you have not yet approached the joy that Jesus gives you. Because Peter says you can't describe it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it's beyond the laws that would allow me to speak. What God has in store for his people are way beyond what the world has for its people. And every time I look at a guy, he's going the way of the world. I say, I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you've got the, the great fancy sports car. I'm sorry you've got the, the seven-figure income. I'm sorry you've got the five Lamborghinis and the three Lotuses in your house. You know, some of the NBA guys have those. And they, they, get, they get made up on these magazines. I, I said, I'm sorry for them. Because at the end of the life, it turns to a pile of dust. It does not last. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I've said these things to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy would be made complete. How important is this joy for us? How important is this concept of grabbing the joy that God calls us to have? How important is it for to rejoice always? How is this, how is this important for us? Number one, because God commands it. It's a command of God. Now just stop for just a moment and think about this. When you think about the commands, have you ever thought this this has been one of the commands? We've got the Ten Commands. How many of the Ten Commands start with do not? Right? I think there's two that that start with a positive way. Honor your father and mother and obey the Sabbath day. Those are do not. But here he says rejoice always. This is a command. God commands that because that's his desire for you. And here's the thing I want you to know this. God will not command you to do something that is unlike his character. Okay, you got that? So if he commands you to rejoice and be joyful, what's one of the central attributes of God? Hello? Now when I look at Reformed Baptist churches along the country, and I look at Reformed churches along the country, and I spoke at a few of them. And when I look at my own church, uh, uh, Southern Baptist Church in Southern Illinois, and I say, joy, does joy characterize our fellowship? It did yesterday. We had a great time yesterday. And that speaks well of what God's doing here at Providence Reformed Church. It does. And to hear you sing this morning, I think you're on the cusp of getting it. To hear the sounds echoing off the walls, awesome. 
You guys are there, but let's watch out. Listen to this. Does God really command it? Yeah, we've already looked at 1 Thessalonians 5, Philippians 4, 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, because I'm sure they didn't get it, (laughs) I say rejoice. Now, Paul's writing that from a prison place in Rome. And he's telling them to rejoice. Now, I want you to think about that. How did Paul first get introduced to the Philippian church? Anybody remember? It was in Acts, I think it was 16. He goes down the river, meets Lydia, and they go to her house, and there's a riot shown up, and they're thrown in jail. After Paul and Silas are whipped immeasurably. And then they're stuck in a jail cell at night. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And here's something that's really cool. I want you to turn there. You got to see this because this is, this is just, I can't make this up and I want you to see it for yourself. I know you've seen it before, but it might be seen in a new light. Acts chapter 16. Verse 25. I'm going to read this verse, and I want you to tell me what's, what's unusual about this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. What's unusual about that? It's midnight. If you'd just been beaten and whipped, and your back's bloodied in, in strips of flesh, and you're chained between a Roman guard and a dark, dank dungeon, what would be your first impression? God, why? But they weren't doing that. They decided it's time to have revival service. So they started shouting and singing and clapping. And what happened next? They were singing and praising God. What was happening in the prison while they were doing that? And the prisoners were what? Listening. Why were they listening? Now, I want you to catch this. In this text, I won't take the time to read it. You can read it later. But as they were praising God, it says there's a great earthquake and all the, the shackles fell off, all the hands of all the prisoners, and all the doors were opened. Now, if you were a prisoner there for life or for whatever reason, and the doors were open, and you had your chance to get free, what would be your tendency? Jason, what would you do? You'd run. Run as, at breakneck speed out of there because I've been set free, right? But what happens here? When the jailer saw that, he's about to take his sword out and kill himself. And Paul says, oh, don't do that. Don't do that because we're all here. What arrested the prisoners from running from the prison? Two disciples of Jesus that just experienced the joy of the Lord that was uncontainable and inexpressible. And they had to know what this was. And what did the Philippian jailer say? What do I need to do to get saved? What was it that caused the Philippian jailer to see his need for a savior? The joy of two disciples that had been beaten to an inch of their life, they're singing praises after that happened to them. Wow. Do you see the power of joy, the Christian life, and why the enemy wants to do everything he can to keep you from having that?
Because if you get it, here's what Psalm 51 says. David says this in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted unto you. When did David say sinners would be converted? After his joy would be restored. Listen, if you want to try and convince somebody to, be, to, to give their life to Jesus, you can't go along and say, you know, I'm serving Jesus, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's hard, and you know, it's a sacrifice, and my cross is heavy, and you know, my, my wife is just a burden to me, and my kids don't honor me, and my job's a mess, but I, I, I want you to know Jesus, because look at what a good God he is. Is that going to help? <laughs> That's not the characteristics of the New Testament church. It was abundant joy. I was in Cuba back in, I can't remember what year. I've gone to Cuba about 13 times. I can't separate the years now. They're getting all bundled together. But I went there right before Christmas one year. And there's a group of uh, college students who are in the music school at the University of Havana. And my translator, Miguel, and I went out to the university there. It was a couple, couple days before Christmas. And we got into this room, and nobody else was on campus. There's a room of about 45 Cuban students. They were Christian, and they'd written a Christmas hymn. And I didn't know it. It was Spanish. And after, the, after it was done, they told me they wrote it for me. And then as we got ready, to, and we, we worshiped for a while, and there was great joy, and there was echoing all over the place. It's a brick and steel building built by communists, so it's made to echo the praises of God, in case you didn't know that. And uh, so they're echoing all over the campus. And as we're walking back across campus that night, the sun had set. Miguel said, you need to know what happened here. All right, I'm really listening. He said, if the guards that were at the, at the university heard those, those songs, those students would have been arrested and they would have lost their academic privilege. It's against the law to do what they just did. And after that, the walk across campus was just quiet. Wow. They didn't care. Because the joy that they'd come to know in Jesus was worth singing about. Even if it meant in prison the next hour. Attractional ministry happens when the people of God become joyous about what God has done for them. And I love that last song we sang. I've sung that one, one time before, and it's just beautiful. It's got great truth in it. Why is it important for our life for this joy? God commands it. Number two, it tells others that we really believe that Jesus' death is enough. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 118, verse 22 through 24. And this is a verse most of you know, but sometimes we don't understand the context in which it first appears. Psalm 118, verse 22 through 24 the psalmist writes, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Now we sing that song, we sing it divorced from the text and certainly we can rejoice in every day because God commands us to do that. But this is a specific day. The specific day the psalmist writes about 
is a messianic prophecy. When the Messiah comes, he's going to be the cornerstone, and the Jews are going to reject him. But they say, and this is marvelous in our eyes. Why? Because it was the death on the cross that Jesus fully satisfied all the wrath of God against all our sin, past, present, and future, will never be brought before God's judgment because of our sin. Period. Wow. End of discussion. If you understand what Jesus has done and that you're fully accepted in the beloved and the Father looks at you and loves you as he loves his own son, that's mind-blowing, right? John chapter 17, doesn't Jesus pray that? Father, I pray that you would love them as you love me. Can you wrap your mind around that? The Father looks at you with the affection of his Son. (laughs) I don't get that. I probably never will. But it shows us when we're rejoicing in Jesus, it shows us that we really believe Jesus' death is enough because it means we don't have to do anything else. The work is finished. We rest in the finished work of Christ, and because of that, I have joy. I have confidence before God. There's no judgment ever to face again. And then the third reason it's important for us, it's an indicator of whether we need revival or not. Do you need revival? Now, here's the indicator. Here's the litmus test right here. Psalm, 90, Psalm 85, verse 6 through 8. Listen to what the psalmist says. Will you not revive your people again that your people may rejoice in you? That's my alarm going off. Tell me I'm out of time. <laughs> that meant the sessions were done, right? Apparently, the men's group just got done. All right, I'm going to just, I've got too much more, so I'm going to bring it to a close here in just a minute. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your salvation, Lord, as we, as you, as we give us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say to his people. He speaks, ready for this? This is when they need revival. They've run from God. They're in captivity. And the psalmist says, will you not revive your people again? that they may rejoice in you, and then I'm going to listen to what God's going to say to his people. What's he going to say? Ready? Peace. Is that not good? you got storms in your life you, can't, you don't have any way to see your way through. Your boat getting rocked, about ready to be capsized, and you're crying out, and Jesus looks like he's asleep on the boat. Listen, he's not. One word from him can bring the storm to a hush. What does he speak to you? Peace. Be still. I've got this. That's so good to know, isn't it? And then I want you to know the reason it's important for us too, it's the path to joy. It's our pathway to joy. Psalms 30 verse 5 says this, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But then listen to the last part of this, it's so good. You've turned my wailing into dancing. You've removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. 
so that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Why is God closed with joy? Why has he removed the wailing from us and given us dancing shoes? Now, somebody asked me if Baptists can dance, and I say some can and some can't. That's just the way it is. But he's given us a reason to dance. And then he says he's clothed us with joy so that my heart might sing and not be silent. You see, if you've experienced the joy of knowing Jesus, it's not a, it's not a fleeting joy that says, oh, I'm going to have a positive confession here that I'm not really dying of cancer. I'm not going to receive that. No, you may be dying of cancer. But Jesus is with you through the every process. And he will not abandon you in any one of those. I've watched one of our deacons. We had, we've had three people in our church die of Lou Gehrig's disease in the last four years. We're a congregation of only about 85 or 90. The, the, the statistics are about one out of 100,000 get Lou Gehrig's disease. But if you're in our church, it's about one out of 30. That's the statistic. I've watched a mom and a wife care for her dying husband bed fast for 28 months. Couldn't speak for over the last four months of his life. But I watched how they died, how he died. I was able to tell this wife, you've demonstrated to your unbelieving son what the gospel looks like because you cared for your husband without complaint for 28 months. And your son watched you love him unconditionally. If he doesn't have a picture of the gospel in that, he's been blind all his life and hadn't seen a thing. The last thing I want to tell you, personal experience, how does this joy reorient your life? Seven and a half years ago, I was leading a mission team from our students, and one of my other students I disciple is now BSU director in northwest Missouri, and his team met with our team in Carbonell. We went down to Panama City Beach together. And just kind of like how, I, how it came up, we decided this is going to be our theme, First Thessalonians 5, 8, 16 through 18. Everything we're going to do was going to be based out of those three verses. Whatever happened, we'd stop and say, we're going to thank God. We're going to rejoice in God. We're going to pray and ask him to do his will. And uh, we got down there, and we were planning to preach on the, one, of the, one of the places on the boardwalk. And then the police told us we had to have a permit. And so we went to City Hall to get a permit. And the City Hall told us, well, it'll be about six, eight weeks, so you're not going to get it while you're here. Well, I said, that's okay. We're going to believe that God's going to do what he wants to do, even without a permit. And so we shared the gospel with the city officials there, and we left. And there's one lady that was really, really rude to us. As we were walking out to the parking lot, Paul Damry and I were just sitting there praying and thanking God for what he's doing. And this lady that was rude to us comes out and she says, listen, I'm, I'm sorry I was rude to you. I'm a Christian and uh, I shouldn't have done that. I said, well, here, we're, we're here to share Jesus on the, on the boardwalk with students during spring break. Uh, would you pray that God would give us favor so we could find a way to get on, on the boardwalk and have permission to do that? And she said, well, yeah. I said, well, I want you to pray right now. Right now, here in the parking lot? Yeah. And out loud, if you would, please. My friends are going to hear me. Oh, that's okay. You told me you're a Christian, right? So she prayed that God would give us favor. About five minutes later, I called the pastor we were working with, and I told him what was up. And he said, tell you what, give me, I'll call you back in about 10 minutes. So Paul and I are just praying and rejoicing, saying, God, you tell us to rejoice. We're going to rejoice, and we're going to give you thanks and all this. So Five minutes later, I got a call back from the pastor. He says, go to Sharky's nightclub. It's on the beach. Wait in the parking lot. Look for a pickup truck. I forgot the color of the pickup truck. 
and that guy's going to give you a permission to use his parking lot on the beach. Okay, so we get there. We get to the parking lot. This guy's in his pickup truck. He's the owner of Sharky's in Panama City Beach. He owns the two largest nightclubs on the beach. And he gave us written permission, which means we don't have to have a permit from the city. As long as we got his permission, we can be in his parking lot as long as we want to. He says, every time you come down to Panama City Beach from now on, just let me know you're coming. You can have my parking lot. <laughs> Is that cool? We set up some sound systems kind of like you got here, and we're preaching to hundreds of college students going back and forth. We had some students. My daughter Hannah was singing the Amazing Grace. We are singing all sorts of songs. We had students coming out to join us in worship. Lots of them were drunk, but they liked the Amazing Grace hymn because they knew that from maybe Bible school somewhere. We had, a, we had worship on the beach right there because we just said, God, you're so good. We want to make sure people know about it. While we were there that week, my daughter Becky, she was dating a guy that was not a believer. And he had asked her to marry him. And I told him he couldn't. And I said, you can't be engaged to him. That's not, he can't honor you and he can't honor God. So that's not going to happen. So she came with me that year. and She was not yet a believer. On the beach that, that year, she gave her life to Christ and recognized she could not marry this guy. His name was Nick, not this Nick, another Nick. And uh, so when she got home, she broke up with him. And three months later, she found her husband. She's now married to him. He happened to be one of the students on that mission tree. His name is Brandon McNeely. He's now running the student ministry that I ran 30 years ago. Well, another thing that happened that, that week was really cool. My daughter Hannah was there. It was on a Monday. I've got a picture of her having her quiet time on the beach on Monday morning. And one of the things she's praying about then was, God, is there, any gonna, is there ever going to be a husband for me? Her standards of trying to date guys that just were too high, and there was nobody who was going to meet those standards. She didn't think anybody would meet them. And for, for the next six years, just, just wasn't happening. And a year ago, summertime, she thought, well, I'll just go to Chicago, work in a health center, and go overseas by myself and set up rural medical clinics, and that's what I'm going to do. Well, in October, a guy named Nicholas Pellman took an interest in my daughter, and uh, they started dating, and I married them uh, four months ago in June, and my son-in-law, Nicholas Pellman, is with me today. Stand up. Stand up. I need to tell you what's happening. While my daughter was praying that God would give her a husband, little did she know, two, out, two miles east of her, at the same time, this guy is a young college student saying, I need Jesus. Jesus, would you come in and take over my life? That's what happens when you decide to rejoice in whatever God gives you. Now, I may not work out that way, but I've been so glad it's worked out so far. Thank you, Nick. You can sit down. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to have this uncontainable joy that we cannot keep to ourselves. So I submit to you, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. Thank you.